I'm here with Sister Paisi. Uh, you were a guest on Life on the Rock, and I just wanted to get a little bit more of the story and about your work. Um, first, let's talk about your work again. You're in Haiti, and you're in Cité de Soleil. Cité Soleil, yes. Cité Soleil, and uh, just on the outskirts of Port-au-Prince. And yes. Tell us about the conditions there that you work in. The, the people I work with in that very large slum area are living in very great poverty. First of all, uh, lacking about everything, water, food. Um, a, a child told me recently, he told me on a Sunday, he told me, Mom, Mom didn't cook today. It was Sunday. The thing is that usually the, in the slum area, they do not cook every day. They cook on Sundays, like one cooked meal. The other days, we just give the children uh, some coins so we can buy like a piece of bread or something on the street. So, but on Sunday is a day, every, every mother tries to cook a meal. So like when a child tells me, mommy didn't cook today on a Sunday, it's like, it's you know, the deal. entire week has gone by without a cooked meal and then. Mm. So that just gives you an idea. This is re very real today. Many people are suffering from hunger. Right. And then lack of everything, water, Many people, uh, many children don't go to school because they're not able to afford school fees and, and things like that. And then there is violence also because of the gangs fighting against each other in the different areas of that, of that slum. So it's like not, not going on all the time. There are some days of, of, of peace and then it starts again. And uh, many, pe I mean, any, anyone can be victim of that like a lost bullet, like yesterday, I had a, a school child who got hit by a bullet in his stomach, didn't die, but he's very critical. And then there are the voodoo practices also, which don't help people to get closer to God. So unemployment is, a, is very widespread. And uh, I mean, the whole situation of the country is like kind of a generalized chaos. Mm. So it's very, very complicated, the situation of the country there. Because they've, they've had the earthquakes. <clears throat> they've also had hurricanes, right, that hit the country? Yes, there have, have <clears throat> been floods and hurricanes. Mm. There was one last, last summer that uh, did a lot of damage. And then an earthquake also uh, in 2021. Mm. And you formed the Kazito family, uh, named after one of the Ugandan martyrs, Kazito, uh, yes. Saint Kazito. Tell us a little bit about him. Saint Kazito was this young African boy um, serving at the palace of a king uh, whose name was Manga. Um, there was a, a young man there called Shalwanga. He was in charge of the boys serving the king. And so he would train them for the service of the king. At the same time, he would tell them about Jesus. And he converted all those younger boys. They became Christians. But the king in those days did not accept Christianity. And he became aware that the boys had become Christians because of his, uh, he was an immoral man. So he realized the, children, the boys uh, didn't agree with whatever he wanted from them. So that's the way he came to, to know that they were Christian. So he became very angry, 
pressured them to renounce their faith. And since they would not, uh, 22 Catholic boys were actually burned alive, 3rd of June 1886, and also 21 Anglican boys together. And Kizito was the youngest one of these, so I, I chose him as a patron saint. Mm. Because our work in uh, Port-au-Prince is a work of evangelization, especially for children, so he's uh, like a model for them. And you do evangelization, you do education of teaching them to read and write? And yes, we, uh, the, the, the idea is to, to create places where the children are safe, like in every way, but especially protected from the dangers of the street, like especially little boys, they get, they get enrolled into gangs. So we, we created free schools in that slum area. And we take, in those schools, it's not like really regular schools. We, we take children who have completely overaged uh, and have not been going to school. Like some are 10 when they begin, some are 14 when they begin, mm -hmm. don't know yet how to learn their, to write their names. And then, but we have like the first, the first four grades of primary school, more or less. Then after that, we try to get them over to regular schools to continue. We help them with school fees so that we can continue in other schools. But our own schools or the Kizito family are just like for the first four years. Oh, right, right. And you have mostly volunteers running the schools or teaching? Uh, we, we have volunteers in the Sunday schools because we also have Sunday schools. This is more like on Saturdays and Sundays. But no, in the schools we have uh, teachers who, yeah. who get yeah. a, a salary. They are employed. Right. And then also, right, you're feeding these children. You have to raise money to buy food for them and cook for them. And Yes, we, yeah. we have, uh, I mean, we feed the children who are in the homes Okay, the homes, it's another thing. I didn't speak about the homes. In the homes, we have kids who had been on the street, like completely on the street, separated from their families, and who chose to, to, to leave the street, and so they are living in the homes. We, we first had one, one home for these boys, and then a second and a third, because boys kept coming. Mm. So now we have five, four for boys, one for girls. Mm. So those children, I mean, it's their, it's their family, it's their home, they eat three times a day. But in the schools, we have one meal. Uh, and that's not all the year round. Like we, when we are able to uh, open the kitchens, we feed, we, we prepare a, a meal for the school children. There are about 1,200 of them. But we, like in the past year, we have not been able to, keep, to keep the kitchen open all the time. It depends on the, the means we have for, for that. And what would be the a typical meal that they would eat? Oh, mostly rice and beans. Mm -hmm. And then we make a kind of a sauce with vegetables. Like, yeah, this is the main. Yeah. The so main you're, you're French, right? So you all cook well. <laughs> yes, but I'm not the one. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, I'm not the one cook, actually cooking for the children. We have mm -hmm. also women who work as cooks. Right, mm -hmm. right. And then the evangelization part of it, uh, you're teaching them catechism. And, and it's interesting that some of the, the young people that go through the program, they turn around and teach the ones yeah, following. Right? Themselves yeah, themselves become yeah. catechists. Yeah. So the, 
the thing I have noticed in like in the 20 years I had spent in Haiti before I, I founded the Kizito family as a sister of Mother Teresa, I realized that even practicing uh, Catholic, practicing parents couldn't get their children to, to receive the sacraments because they didn't have the right papers, like the birth certificate, they didn't have money to do it, or because the children are not going to school, so they are not following catechism. So this is, this is where I felt the need also to, to create these Sunday schools for the poor children. And then they, we, we have a kind of a long preparation, like, like sometimes we go up to two years before baptism and then first communion, and then we continue on to confirmation. Then after confirmations, we, some of them, like they are 15 or 16, we begin preparing them to become themselves catechists. Because mm -hmm. like the children are so many, so it's like during the week we would have a meeting, we prepare a lesson with these young catechists, and then on Sunday they each have a, a group of like 30, sometimes more children, right. and, and they do the catechism. So yeah. that's how it's working. We do have a few adults more experienced, but most of the catechists are very young ones. Right. And I, I saw your video that you all have on your website, um, and it was really striking. You had, there was like these young children praying before the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist and the Monstrance, and it was, you know, very kind of a beat up building, you know, but they're like, bright-eyed and taking it all in and mm -hmm. tell us about their response to the faith. What kind of faith do they have? Yeah, it, uh, I mean, we try to bring them to Jesus in the Eucharist because uh, Jesus really is the one acting. We can, we, 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 as I described the situation of the country, and all, I mean, it's a very impossible situation, but Jesus is present and his, uh, his particularly his presence is felt in, in, in the Eucharist. So children are, are drawn, they need to be prepared, of course, but they are drawn to, to the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And they have faith. They, even in the most tragic circumstances, I have not heard uh, people like uh, blaming God, like for the earthquake or the hurricane, or, you know, like uh, where, where, where was God, like things, remarks you would hear. In the Western world, I've not had any of these ever in, in those 22 years I spent there. But on the contrary, it's like the more they are living uh, difficult things, the more they feel the need to, to express their, their trust. They say things like, God is here, God is good, but it's not like just words in their mouth. It's like you, you, you feel very really they really believe that, and it's kind of contagious. Like for me, I, I feel my, my faith has been strengthened also by that. But at the same time, like if this is not fed and nourished by teaching, and well, the, the faith also can be lost. So I think mm -hmm. this pastoral work is very important. Right. And how do you, how do you keep going? I mean, you've, uh, you've been hard at work a long time, and, uh, and with, um, a lot of obstacles. Yeah, I feel, well, the same thing. I don't feel I'm working. It's like the Lord is working mm -hmm. and I'm trying to follow, trying to keep up with him. I, I really feel that way. Like, um, especially if, uh, from the time of this new foundation of the new community, um, 
in the beginning, I was not too sure this is what I was supposed to be doing. Like I, I was already in the community of the missionaries of charity. So I felt maybe I should just continue what I had been doing, medical work mostly. But then I, I, I felt that call. And after discerning, I, I actually in the discernment process, I had done a retreat, uh, an Ignatian retreat to discern. And uh, the, the priest who was directing the retreat, he told me, you have to formulate a, a, a clear answer, a question to the Lord, like in, in the, like what you want to discern about. So I did that. And my question was, should I leave the congregation or should I not? And uh, when I did that discernment prayer, I got a very clear answer, which was, I want you to trust me. So it was like, after, when I heard that word from the Lord, it's like, okay, thank you, Lord. But this was not my question, like, <laughs> because I wanted, I wanted to know, should I leave or should I not? <laughs> so, but this was so clear that I, I, I knew that was the answer also. But then after a couple of days, I realized that meant like, okay, yeah, you should go ahead and leave and then from the new community. But I also understood that the Lord was giving me that word, not just for that discernment, but like for all my life. And I think for, for everyone, because this is what the Lord is really, really wants from us, especially in difficult times, to keep trusting that whatever happens in our life, it, it, it is from His loving hands. And I, I would imagine that you know, forming a new community and, and the work there that you would, you could have more kind of freedom to address the problems and issues and it could probably be more efficient maybe in helping them even if you... Well, you yes, know. this is what I had understood, seen with in the community I was before, even though that was for me in the line of what Jesus had asked Mother Teresa when he said, the souls of his little children are sold with sin, bring my light to them. Even though that was in that, in that line, it was not, practically it was not possible to be doing everything, the medical work plus this. So in, in the new institute, we are more focused on that, mm -hmm. evangelizing and protecting kids from the dangers from the streets. Mm -hmm. And you were 30 years with the Missionaries of Charity. Right? Yeah. And 30 years before I, I began right, the, right. the new institute. And you lived with Mother Teresa for a little bit. Um, yes, I did uh, spend some, some time with her. Like when she would, I was a novice in Poland. She would come there sometime in Rome. Also in Washington, D.C. I spent one year in Washington, D.C. So I had, a, I had a, uh, an experience there that I like to share with Mother Teresa. It was on a day of a profession. So like many people, it was in, many people would come for the profession mass, knowing Mother Teresa was there. And there were also uh, journalists. I don't know if EWTN was, <laughs> was around Probably. at that time. <laughs> but anyway, there were many people kind of pushing their way, trying to, to get close to, to Mother Teresa. And I was there, uh, just kind of watching. And I was really struck at one point because Mother was a very simple woman. She was not like extremely eloquent or... Uh, like a brilliant personality, so she was very simple. And then I was watching her there in the middle of that commotion kind of around her. And I was, just, at one point I just wondered, but what is it 
that all these people are all crazy about, it is, it is not her. And then that the answer came very clear to me. I, I, they can see Jesus is living in her. And this is what is holiness, I think, when you can disappear enough to let the Lord live in you, and then it, it becomes visible and people are drawn. So I saw that so clearly that day in Mother Teresa, what right. is holiness. Right. And you grew up in France and raised in a devout home, and you entered very young to the Missionaries of Charity. Was that a hard decision? Or? Um, yes, I grew up in a, in a fervent, practicing Catholic family. I had actually f uh, experienced a call already as a child and then f kind of forgot about it at the age of 15. I, I felt again the Lord was calling me. The way I received my call was kind of very clear during a weekend retreat. Uh, it was, you know, you should go to Mother Teresa. So I didn't have to struggle too much, like visit, visiting different communities or things like that. I just, I just, it was so clear. When I finished after high school, I just looked for the missionaries of charity and I, and I joined. So yes, it was, um, I mean, it was, uh, there were difficult things like leaving home and uh, my brothers and sisters were still young. But at the same time, it was so, the clear, the call of the Lord was so clear and I, I wanted to do His will, so. And what's, what's the secret to perseverance? I mean, <laughs> missionaries' charities has to be the hardest, most difficult order to live in. I mean, the, it's a very austere life and and what you're doing now is very difficult. Uh, how do you persevere in that? I mean, obviously it is uh, the grace of God. He's, God is faithful. Uh, but I think uh, for me, it was this uh, desire to do God's will and the conviction that I wouldn't be happy if I, I would depart from that. I think this is a basic wisdom of, you know, if you're not going to do God's will, we're going to make a mess of our lives. So I think this is one of the strong mm -hmm. things that held me. And uh, also the desire to save souls, to help. I think this uh, natural desire we have to be fruitful, like, uh, you know, a woman wants to be a mother and a man wants to be a father. And uh, that was, I knew that was my, my call to, to bring the life of Jesus to others and then you have to pay a price. So every time I encounter something difficult, I just, I just saw it in that light. So. That you know, real love takes sacrifice, that God asks yes. us for sacrifices. And, and to, bring, to bring life to others takes, like Jesus paid the price of his, of his life on the cross, like if we if we are going to be part of his of mm. this work, like clearly now in Haiti, also this work is a it's a spiritual warfare. Um, if if we want to, ch to bring the children to encounter Jesus, of course it's not going to make everybody happy, and so there are obstacles and there are um, there is a, a price to be paid. Right, and you you're in charge of a lot of things, a lot of initiatives. A lot of responsibilities. You all have a lot of you have volunteer programs, teaching programs, I guess, cooking and stuff and donations and 
I imagine you have to make a lot of decisions. How do you make those decisions? So this also, I would give you the same answer. I, from the beginning, I've, I've really felt the Lord is working and he's just telling me, you know, follow as much as you can. So even for the decisions, I mean, like you would, if, if some, there is a question coming up, just ask the Holy Spirit and then do whatever seems more sensible <laughs> and trust, really. But even if I, like, I think, yeah, without trusting, you become crazy. Because like if, if I were to make a mistake in, a, in an important decision, I know the Lord will, he will make up for my mistakes also. Because your motivation's <laughs> good, right? You're trying to do the right thing. If it's a mistake, he'll, yeah. he can He's easily, a savior. Jesus yeah. is a savior, <laughs> including in very practical and, and concrete decision. I, right. I believe that also. Right. Do, you have, do you have people that help you? Like you go to advice or get advice from somebody? Or does God put like some wise people in your life? Yes, or? yes. Well, well, like when I was doing this uh, discernment, for the foundation of the community, I had actually gone to the to New York. Yeah, there was a priest there, a Jesuit, Father Koteski. He died last year. He had been my spiritual advisor for a couple of years. Koteski. 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 He was a dean of Fordham University oh, then. Okay. And uh, uh, for, regarding the foundation of the community, I dealt a lot also with the bishop in Port-au-Prince. Right. And like I, now I'm just coming back from a, doing a retreat in Boise at the Verbum Spey community. So there, there is a priest there, his name is Father Dominic, who helped me during the retreat. So yeah, mm. I, I do get help from different people mm -hmm. and different priests. Yeah. And how about fear? How do you overcome fear? You have fear? Fear is gripping Western culture. How, how do you handle fear? Yes. Um, I do sometimes like wake up in the morning and think. What have I done? Yeah, <laughs> what, what did I get myself into? <laughs> having all these responsibilities for all the children and not really having you know, like things store, stored for the, for the future. But um, these words of the Lord were so, so strong. I want you to trust me that they are the ones that keep, they are like a light. I, I know this is what he wants from me. And he has shown me during those four years that it is his work, he's taking care of it. Like, there was nothing in the beginning, no, no money, no building, no sisters, no volunteers, no one. <laughs> and, and he has been doing that. I mean, within four years, we have eight schools, five homes, all mm -hmm. these centers, all the, we are able to pay a salary, even though it's, you know, it's, it's small, but to about a hundred, hundred people. And then we have all these people praying for us also. How do you pray? How, how would you? How would, what advice would you give to people about <laughs> prayer? Um, the rosary? I, oh yes, sure. <laughs> this is, a, I mean, there are, these are the, we, we pray, as a community, we pray a rosary every day and, and we also pray with the children, the, the, the rosary. Uh, but I think we have to, to learn to, 
to spend time with the Lord in silence also, because in our world, we tend to make a lot of noise, and sometimes we do the same with God. Um, so, in our, like in our daily schedule, we have two, two times of adoration. Once in the morning, we have a half hour of silent adoration, and then we have the common prayers, the divine office, and some other prayers. And in the evening, again, we have the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. So, just to, when we have the possibility to, to be actually in a chapel where, where there is a Blessed Sacrament, that is, uh, we shouldn't miss that because uh, it's easier, at least for me, it's, it's much easier to pray uh, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And when I feel like I'm not well disposed to, to pray, Actually, Jesus, Jesus is praying, so we just have to kind of get into his, his prayer. I mean, you just tell Jesus, you pray, I can't, or the Holy Spirit is, a, yeah. is the one teaching us how to pray. Jesus, Mother Teresa had told us that Jesus is our prayer. He is the only substantial living prayer raising from the face of the earth towards the Father. She had told us that, I remember that sentence. Jesus is our prayer. Yeah, he, he lives to make intercession for us, right, before the Father. And so sometimes you would just go and just be in silence and just maybe kind of think about that or just focus on the presence of the Lord in the Eucharist. Or, yeah, just to be present and aware of his presence. Yeah. Is there any other lesson that Mother Teresa taught you that sticks with you, really? that you come back to? The, the one I shared about the, I mean, what I've seen of, of the presence of Jesus in her was like, for me, the most powerful. And the other one is that um, doing God's will and meeting the Lord is not like in dreaming about the future or yesterday. It's just like in the present moment, the, the, whatever you're doing. Um, it might be the, the most ordinary cleaning up the house or, you know, cooking, she would say, or meeting a person, just the way, sometimes just the way you greet a person, you can, you, you can say hi to a person and you're not, re you're not really meeting the person because your mind is somewhere else. But like to be able to be really fully present there mm. in the present moment, I think this is the way to encounter God also, okay. just to be there. Well, thank you so much, Sister, for talking with us. And um, we'll put some information up on our website that helps the people support and certainly to pray. Maybe you, that's very important to you, to ask people to pray for your work and your community down there. Yes, yeah. yes. I, I encourage people to, even those who, who wish to make a commitment to do that daily in, in some ways. I mean, we, we do have a prayer. The children pray every day in Haiti. They pray for the people who are helping us or the people who have asked us to for a specific intention, but whether it is through that Kizito family prayer or another way, because uh, all the difficulties we encounter, the, the only the Lord can, can uh, help us overcome them. So the prayer is the first thing. And then we, we have endless other needs also, mm -hmm. but uh, the first things are first. Right, first things are first. <laughs> Thank you, sister. You're welcome. Thank you for having me also. Mm -hmm.